Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hello, it's the New Business Better Podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. Got another great show for you today. Got a good friend of mine. I've known this guy forever and ever. We're best friends. We wrestled together. We played football together. We used to live together. He's actually referenced in my book, Do Business Better. And I'm bringing him to you today because he's going to give us some insights from a legal angle. He's a lawyer. That's right. He's a lawyer. But you know, we don't always think of lawyers as business people, but he is. In fact, my friend Scott Royce, who's joining us today, is a partner in his own law firm, has been now for almost seven years. So what that means is, that means is he, like you, has to worry about employees not showing up, has to worry about uh, paying people the right competitive rate, has uh, uh, you know real estate, offices, and all the headaches that go along with every other business. The bonus is he's going to also talk to us about legal issues issues that you as a business person maybe did or did not think of. So, welcome to the show, Scott Royst. Thank you for having me. Uh, all right. You heard my whole uh, intro there. I guess we should expand on that just a little bit. Scott and I, dear listeners, have known each other way back since we were in junior high school, high school. And we lived together at one point in the 1990s. When I was starting out on my own in the 1990s, he was in law school. He then worked in, uh, in law for other people as an employee, also in the public sector, and then seven years ago went off and struck out on his own, joined a law firm. Tell me about that. What was scary about it? What was exciting about it? What did you learn in the first three months? Well, I'd spent a lot of time, uh, first 15 years of my legal career, working for someone else, which had some benefits. There was uh, fixed responsibilities, fixed payments, fixed uh, obligations, those things were, were unrisky. But seven years ago, I decided that I was going to take a leap of faith and bet on myself. And uh, I went and joined a law firm and I became a partner shortly thereafter. And was a great choice. Yeah, it was a great choice. Obviously, I was with you uh, and around you a lot during that. And I remember we talked about stuff, and I'm sure that the folks listening to this uh, who are entrepreneurial or run their own uh, their own business and pilot their own ship have friends that make the jump, and then they kind of bounce stuff off of them. And that's what I was to Scott. In fact, I remember it was kind of funny. One day he came home from work, and he had been working a pretty long, hard day trying to prove himself in his first few months on the job. And you said something, Scott. You said... I wanted to get out of there sooner, but now I'm working for myself. It seems like every minute really, really matters because every minute has a direct return to me. Do you know what I mean? And I am paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what you said. Uh, and of course, I thought, well, hell yes, I know, because I've always been in that situation since age 25. So besides the learning that you now every minute is a minute return to you, what else did you learn in your first three to six months? Well, it was good to get out of your comfort zone, that if you don't take a risk upon yourself, then uh, you're really failing. Doing nothing's worse than trying to believe in yourself and, and doing something. So I'm glad I uh, believed in myself and, and made the choice. I didn't leave something that was bad. I had a great employment opportunity prior to leaving, leaving but uh, it was an even better option 
to strike out on my own. I think people listening to this show generally are business folks. They Maybe they run their own farm or their own painting company or an insurance agency or like some of the guests I've had here. And we all go through this learning curve. And then it hits a point where you actually think, you know, a lot of this wasn't that scary. What was I ever worried about? When did that happen for you when you kind of said, hey, this is fine. I got this. Well, I was fortunate. I, I joined a law firm that had a long history of being successful. Uh, so that was very useful to me. I had uh, older attorneys that could mentor me that were really good at giving me advice. It was different, though, having uh, other employees relying upon you, relying upon your vision, relying upon you to seek out customers, seek out clients, and be responsible every day for not just yourself, but everybody who works at the law firm. You just said something about mentors. I've always done a pretty good thing, I think, for my business by finding folks that are pretty successful and you don't bug them. You don't try and uh, uh, weasel a, you know, uh, something from them. There has to be a return, meaning I've got older people that are successful. Maybe they're not older now because I'm 50 almost, but they have something they can offer. And if you come to them in friendship or in business, they'll actually take you under their wing and show you some things. It's been pretty important for you, you have uh, the principal that was at your law firm kind of took you under his wing and showed you a lot of stuff. Who else? Well, having somebody from the law firm who was already respected in town was immensely important to me. Uh, opened a lot of doors for me, introduced me to a lot of people, and gave me credibility right away. But, you know, he doesn't do the work that I do every day. He was helpful. He was instructive. It, it helps me not worry about taking risks because I know that uh, if I cannot figure it out on my own, I have someone else I can turn to that can give me advice. You just said the word risk, which brings me to a question I ask a lot of my guests. I say in my book, Do Business Better, I say there are four unwavering traits of entrepreneurial success. Now, many wouldn't consider you an entrepreneur. Maybe they wouldn't consider me an entrepreneur. I didn't invent the chip clip or, uh, you know, I don't have 19 different companies going at the same time, but I've been out here, you know, for 25 years and you've been out here now on your own for seven years. So let's just say we're both entrepreneurs. If you're going to have success as an entrepreneur, I say you must have risk tolerance, drive, resilience, and vision. Which of those four do you think is most critical to attaining success running your own enterprise? Clearly, drive is the most important to me. Uh, you touched on your book about people focus on their strengths all the time, but you also have to work through your weaknesses. If you only focus on the things that you like to do, then you're not going to get ahead. You have to work hard both at your strengths and your weaknesses, and you have to be driven to do the hard stuff that you don't necessarily want to spend your time doing. And What's your strength? As a lawyer or as a business person now employing, what do you got there, seven or eight employees at your law firm? So as an employer, as a business person, or as a lawyer, what's your what's your strength? Dealing with people is my strength. Dealing with the mundane legal arguments is probably my weakness. I would much rather meet with clients and deal with clients than sit at the desk all day and churn out paperwork. Uh, note to listeners, most of you that are listening, say you're business type people, you're entrepreneurial people, you'll notice that entrepreneurial people actually hate the minutia. They're idea oriented, they're, they're sales oriented, they want to get out and beat the bushes and bring in new business. What they hate is the details. I'm that way, you're that way, a lot of people that way. So that's your weakness and your strengths right there. 
When did you uh, actually get into this thing and actually what scared you? Because if you don't push yourself and get uh, uncomfortable, you never advance. What's, what have you done that scared you in the last few years? Well, just leaving a good job to begin with was scary for me. I have a, a family and an established routine uh, that was really comfortable for me. I had to focus on wanting something better and developing the habits that are necessarily to do that, which you obviously touch on in your book as well. Yeah, I do. And I have always define, and for the listener that's just tuning in here, I define there's, remember, routine is mindless. Routine is unvarying, unimaginative, rote procedure, and rote means without thought. Whereas habit, habit is an active and intentional activity you know, you can say, oh, well, a uh, habit of smoking. Well, yeah, it's active and it's a bad habit, but, you know, there's a lot of good habits, the things that you do with uh, intention. What habits have you created, Scott, that's helped you propel yourself forward in running your own enterprise? Focusing on those things that uh, have a positive net return, being really critical in your thinking and identifying the measurements that you spend your time doing things that earn you money, spend your time doing things that have a positive net return rather than spending your time spinning your wheels. I think it's important to evaluate your business regularly so that you know where best to spend your time and what's most profitable for you to spend your time doing. When I get calls from people that want me to help them out, they if they're if they're running their own thing, maybe they're a year in or two years in, I've even consulted with some organizations like this. They're busy, they're not doing poorly, but they are overwhelmed. And I get this way myself. And then they say, oh God, where do I start? Where do I spend my time? You looking at your, you could be busy as you want to be. You build by the hour. You've got a good practice. How do you decide where to spend your time? Well, you point out in your book that every human has the same number of minutes and hours available to them throughout the year. So how you choose to spend your time each day is really important. And being goal-driven, focusing on your clients, focusing on building your business, focusing on things that propel you forward and propel your clients forward are far more important than, as we talked earlier, the comfortable, easy things to do that end up being a routine rather than a habit. Okay. You talk about uh, habits and, and routines and all that, and I like that, and I really appreciate you tying into my book. Thank you. Dear listener, if you haven't already figured it out, yes, my book is for sale, Do Business Better. It just released on April 2nd. I'd love you to consider buying it, but this is not an infomercial. This is, after all, uh, an interview with my good friend Scott Royst, who's a business guy and a lawyer. What do businesses get wrong when they stay there in their first five to 10 years? What are they doing wrong from a legal standpoint? Like when you pick up a case and, and they, you say, God, they really should have, fill in the blank. Well, I think they should really invest at the very beginning in getting the best advice they can from a professional. You get what you pay for. And I probably spend more time fixing people's problems that could have been prevented if they'd gotten good advice to start with. So good business organization, good paperwork. Ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure, the old thing. So uh, what, contracts, legal arrangements. One thing that I notice a lot is how the thing is arranged. You know, I work with ag people and it's like, well, who owns what here? Uh, how is the ownership divided? And then they just kind of say, well, uh... <laughs> Yeah, solid operating agreements. And additional, I think everybody should invest in a 
good umbrella insurance policy. It helps them sleep at night. It pushes the risk off to somebody that's not them. By the way, I, I have one, and I want to make sure that for the listeners that are out here that, you know, you're, you're, you're chugging along, you've got a good business, you're starting to sock away money, you've got an actual appreciable net worth, or, or you know, you're building your net worth, and you're saying, what the heck did you just say umbrella policy? It's liability. Expand, Scott. Yeah. Everyone has an insurance agent or should have an insurance agent and can discuss with them getting an umbrella insurance policy that would cover everything from slip and falls on their front porch to some negligent stuff. Uh, it really pushes the liability and the risk off from the business owner. It puts the insurance company frontmost where they'll defend nuisance claims, they'll defend good claims. And it's a risk-free way of being able to... So instead of having to call you, they can call their insurance agent first because they that's the first line of defense. And then they are going to say, well, we got a million or two million dollars of uh, blanket umbrella policy here for liability. And then uh, they're not dipping into their own uh, 401k to have to pay off somebody that they've got a problem with. But what do businesses in their 10th year need to think about? 20th year. Folks that are out here that are doing okay, they've got they've got money, they've got business, they've got revenue, they've got demand, their their product is selling. Where do you see that they kind of get complacent, and what are they doing wrong from a legal standpoint at the mature phase? Well, I think they need to focus on what they do that earns them money, and remind themselves what they do that earns them money. And again, sometimes doing the things you've always done doesn't work because the world's changing every day. Things change every day and you need to be forward thinking, keep setting goals and look to the future. I also see a lot of people, they may be good at one job. It doesn't make them good at another. That's a biggie right there is how do you use your talent and your time? So what are they doing? They're, they're over here. They're over here. Job, rocking out job A uh, very poorly when they should be hiring out job A and then concentrating their strength on job B. Is that what we're saying? Well, we also see family businesses that do immensely well because dad was a great business person. That doesn't necessarily mean that sons or daughters necessarily are a great business person. That oftentimes it helps because they're raised in the business. They see the work ethic of their father or their mother. They see the family business and they're well-respected in town, but it, it's not necessarily makes them the leader or the, the aggressive person that maybe their father or mother was that got them to that family business to begin with. Okay, listener, this is where you're going to hear a little personal commentary, which sometimes you hear this, uh, well, you hear it in every one of my episodes because I'm not, I'm not shy about giving and dispensing personal commentary. Uh, Scott and I are both blue-collar kids. His father was a factory worker, died when Scott was only 14 years old. I was, uh, I was obviously friends with him then. I saw all that. Scott and I both are blue-collar kids that didn't come from a whole hell of a lot. And you know what? I'm proud of myself, and so is he proud of his accomplishments. I look at people that, honestly, now that I'm almost 50 years old, were born on third base, and they mistakenly believe they hit a triple. <laughs> and uh, th that's the issue that you're talking about when the company now becomes juniors, and junior uh, didn't do anything to build or create it. Junior just inherited it. There's a real problem there for failure. You see this from a legal standpoint. So they're screwing up how? 
Well, they think that their parents' relationships will not necessarily be their own relationship. They don't invest in uh, learning. They may know the business, but they don't invest in what their own strengths are or work on their own weaknesses. They ride the coattails maybe and think they have the same relationship with their clients as what their father has. And, or mother. Or their mother. And that turns out time and time and time again to be not necessarily true that... Yeah, we've heard this all, you know, you always hear the first generation makes it, second generation keeps it, third generation pisses it away. But the reality here is, I, I think this is all very preventable. One of the things I notice in my travels, good businesses, good family businesses, don't let junior, boy or girl, come back into the operation at age 18 or age 21. They say, you go and fly for a while before you come back here. You think that's a good practice? Yeah, I think a well-rounded education, not just, you know, college, but... Maybe go work in a different business or go seek a different a different route. It, you know, your family may let you come back to the business, but there's more than just family businesses. It happens in employee-owned businesses, those things, too, that people need to. Uh, I think it goes back to the drive that we talked about earlier. Some people are, are not driven and, as you said, may inherit a good situation that doesn't get them to the end that more importantly, it's the person who's driven and focuses on having great habits. And we've been talking a lot about uh, longevity lately because it's the subject for my next book and it's just an outline format right now, but to achieve longevity as in, as a company, you do have to have the right people, but you also have the right preparation. What you're saying right now, let's say the business owner that's listening right now does want their daughter to take over. What should that person do to prevent having to hire you 10 years from now to really make, straighten out a bunch of messes? Do the hardest jobs. That probably is what their, their parent had to do. Their parent had to make the sales calls. Their parent had to work late at night. Their parent had to come in on the weekends there. Their family, they had to seek their own clients. I think that would be important is see if they can make their own relationships and come up with their own ideas. Yeah, a lot of a lot of business owners that have gone through a lot of storms believe they're helping their offspring uh, by protecting them from the storm and not realizing that's what actually helped them build their empire. Absolutely. You said something about goals. You set goals. You have goals for you and Rock Hill Pinnock Law Firm. We absolutely do. We have annual goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals. You need it for transition planning. We have a differing age structure of the attorneys that work there. And Besides revenue, what's a goal that you set? Because obviously we know about revenue. So when you look at what Rock Hill Pinnock Law Firm, if it's a business and everybody listening to this says, okay, I can relate to that. What's another thing you set? Cases you want to pick up, employees you want to have. What other things do you set for goals? I set a goal to try to get rid of my worst 10% of my business every year and focus it on uh, seeking out a 10% jump of what could be better business. That's a fantastic thing right there. Are you listening? Are you listening, folks? Because getting rid of your crappy 10% is actually a very good business practice. If your business is growing and you can do it, dumping your bottom 10% every year or two is very, very, very powerful because now you just keep getting better clientele. You can charge more. And I would say when business is good, charge more. Oh, people are going to squawk. The people that are going to squawk are the ones that you probably don't want as clients anyhow. Absolutely. 
you are a limited resource, you have limited time, but if you're a good resource, your clients will recognize that. And we see it in all kinds of different, different avenues. People watch the best movies because they're enjoyable. People read the best books because they're enjoyable and they're comfortable with that. I think people hire the best attorneys because oftentimes it's a really important thing that they're dealing with and they're willing to seek out the best and they probably should. You just said something about limited time. One question I ask a lot of folks that run their own business. If I gave you four more hours per week, if I could just magically just just grab four hours out of the sky and give them to Scott Royst, how do you invest those hours? Back in your business so that you focus on the business and not only on the day-to-day task of handling your client's needs, but spending more time focusing on the, the needs of your own business. Yeah, it's the old thing about, uh, it's the old thing about uh, working on your business, not in your business. Correct. All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close up here. One piece of advice, knowledge, personal lesson, anyone can apply for a better life and business that you have learned in your 48 years, but also in seven years of running the law firm. One piece of advice, knowledge, or personal lesson. Be willing to take the risk to, to move your business forward, seek out the best advice you can, and then work really hard on the most important things in your business and not get distracted by the small, unimportant things. That's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was my good friend, Scott Royst, and you have been listening to the Do Business Better podcast. Till next time.